we're going to look at a difficult passage of Scripture. It is one of probably the most difficult passages. Books have been written about this passage. Um, one of the issues we had on Tuesday was Carl was asking questions about this particular passage. And, and I said, you know what? I've wrestled with this passage for a long time. I think I need to settle it once and for all and, and go to some decent commentaries. I went to um, probably the best commentary on First Peter is by John Brown. You know, the John Brown. <laughs> Not the guy who did the raid, but the, um, the Puritan. And very, very good. And he just sat me down. That's what I love about the Puritans. They sit you down, and they take it really slowly, as if I'm five. And they explain it to me, and I go, of course. Now let me read the passage really quickly, and, and now explain why it's so confusing. Okay? For Christ also died for sins. This is a sentence. It's three verses. This, the, 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 the primary problem is in verse 19, but 18, 19, and 20. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. There are some added words for clarification. Um, now in prison. is The word now has been added to, to clarify because that word's not there, but you need it. And I'll, I'll explain why. So on the surface, and because we read literally... We, we tend to read passages literally. It sounds like he's saying Jesus died, and then during the three days where he was in the tomb, his spirit went down to hell. And what helps us get confused about this is we got the Apostles' Creed, which says he descended into hell. Mm. Now, that's not necessarily a literal descending into hell. Um, prominent theologians, especially Calvin, said... When it says he descended into hell, it probably means he experienced hell by taking the sins of the whole world upon himself on the cross. So he was crucified, died, and was buried, descended into hell. The worst thing possible that could have happened to Jesus happened in that moment. It's not that he went down to hell because he, he you know, we don't know. Anyway, and, and the Apostles' Creed is not scripture. It's a very good creed that helps us solid, condense our faith down to easily memorized verses, the systematic theology. But it's not scripture, so we kind of wrestle with that. But this is scripture. So what we're trying to figure out is what is happening here. What is happening here seems to be, and it's not, thanks to John Brown, it seems to be that... Jesus died, went to hell, and then there are all these people in prison, trapped in hell by the devil. The devil's up there, ha, 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 look at all these souls I've got. And these souls in particular are the ones that didn't listen to Noah and didn't get on the ark, and they're down there in, in a prison cell. We were talking about this on Tuesday with, with Carl. And then Jesus preached to them. 
And that's, that's all it says. Now, what happens? Now, now, because of that interpretation, now you've got lots of speculation that comes out of this. What did he do? What did Jesus do? Did he go down there and pro- it says proclaim, which is another word for preaching. Did he gloat? Well, Jesus doesn't gloat. Right? That would be kind of sinful to go down and say, hoo-hoo, you didn't listen to Noah. And then, ah, peace out. You know, mic drop. And all that stuff. No. Or, and, th- and this is the one, there's a book by Plumpter, a guy named Plumpter. But he, he wrote this whole book on speculating that, okay, if Jesus went to hell and preached to these people that were wiped out in the flood, doesn't that imply that he's giving them a second chance after death to grasp the gospel and believe? And if that's the case, isn't it possible that we believers may be able to go to purgatory or something like that where everybody's kind of waiting for judgment day and all the non-believers who have all this time now after death and before judgment day to share the gospel with Unbelievers, you know, sort of loved ones who never believed and they die, and then we get, we die, and we go there, and we are like, hey, now do you believe Jesus is real? Come on, it's up the evidence, you know, and all that. And then they, they'll say, I believe. Now, people like C.S. Lewis speculated on this kind of thing, and he broke the great divorce, and I've talked about that a lot. Where bus trip from hell to heaven, heaven invites these people to stay. This is all speculation, but the people reject. Now, that's biblical. The speculation is the bus trip. But the reaction of the people who are hell citizens, citizens of hell, faced with heaven, we think in our little logical brains, easy peasy. Say yes. Come on in. But no, they reject. And that's actually biblical. It shows weeping, gnashing of teeth. People hate God. When they reject him in life, they're going to eternally reject him in death. He allows them to have their way. This is what you wanted. Goodbye. I never knew you. And I never knew you because you didn't want to know me. Here's how John Brown tells you. And here's how... When you translate things from Greek to English, you get different nuances, and and, and it's confused people forever. And I I, I swear I, I I took this verse. And I told you on Tuesday I take this verse and I go, oh yeah, I'll, I'll I'll worry about it later. And then after our discussion on Tuesday, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to figure this out. And I and I went straight to Brown because he's my guy. And he, like I said, he sat me down. So starting here, first part's really easy. Christ also died for sins once for all. We know this. This is on record. Jesus died for our sins. He died for sins. He was sin-free. This is the gospel, essentially. He died for sins once for all. He died once for all sins. The just for the unjust. He's just. We're unjust. We're sinners. Right? Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? 
That's good. Because Jesus dies for sinners. And you think, oh, it means he died for literally everybody. But there has to be an acknowledgement of sin. You have to, there are people that do not believe they sin. So technically, they are not sinners. They are righteous in their own eyes. Remember judges, everybody that's decided that it was meet to do whatever they wanted in their own eyes. And then in comes another army to take over the people. And they have to cry out, and God sends a judge. Essentially, what happens? We deny Christ, we are living sinful lives, and we deny that we sin. Sinners, Jesus saves sinners, of which we are, if we admit that we're sinners. And you think, that's easy, all I have to do is admit I'm a sinner. People don't admit they're sinners. Okay, this is really easy. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Got it? So that he might bring us to God. So he died so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh. That's historical record. He was put to death in the flesh. Now here's where we start to get into the shaky stuff. But made alive in the spirit. So we jump to the conclusion that that means he died in the flesh and then he was made alive in the spirit. So this is this must be during the the three days when he was in the... When was Jesus ever not alive in the spirit? You think Jesus was in the flesh but dead in the spirit? Walking around? No. He was always alive in the spirit. So what does this mean? To us. Jesus, we witnessed... Here's Peter. We witnessed him being put to death in the flesh. And then he was made alive to us in the spirit. Why is that important? Why is it important that Jesus... Because before, we were not alive in the spirit. Remember what happens after Jesus resurrects. He sends his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit quickens people. His Holy Spirit interprets scripture right, rightly. His Holy Spirit allows us to share the gospel with others. And that's a crucial thing. Because if you read this all in context, he's sharing the gospel, he's sharing the gospel, he's sharing the gospel, and then, if you misinterpret this passage, it sounds like he's suddenly shifting gears and saying, now I'm going to talk about Noah and, and, and what Jesus did while... No, it's all the same. He's sharing the gospel. Ooh, let me go to 1 Corinthians 15. This was not planned. This is Paul sharing the gospel. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand. Okay, he's about to remind them of the gospel. By which you are saved. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, right? Very beginning. By which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, to you, as of first importance, what I also received. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Part of that last sentence there, so we preach, and so you believe. Part of the gospel is the proclamation of the word. We receive the Holy Spirit, and we proclaim the word. Let's go back. Christ was put to death in the flesh. To us. He existed in the flesh no more to people. And he did resurrect and he ascended. But he's, he's talking about the gospel. Christ was put to death in the flesh. And he was made alive to us in the spirit. We were given his spirit. So it's not that Jesus was dead in the spirit before. He was always alive. But now something is different. Now he has given us his spirit. So when Peter says, made alive in the spirit, made alive to us, for us, in us, in the spirit. So now we get to this next verse, the difficult one. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Remember that word now. That's been added for clarification because it's, it's confusing if you don't have the now. Peter's talking about us. We are made alive in Christ. Christ's spirit lives to us so that we make proclamation to the spirits now in prison. You've uh, talked about this before. You know what happens when the ship sinks. What do they say? A thousand souls lost. If you don't believe, you would say a thousand bodies went down. Remember, you are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. You are a soul. So, the spirits now in prison are anyone? All the unsaved. Currently now. Currently now at the time of Peter. And when we read this to us, currently now. You've heard. The people who are not Christians are people with whose souls are in bondage. They are souls in bondage. We are in bondage to the devil until we are saved. And Christ frees us. So when he says, made alive in the spirit, in which he went, Jesus is preaching through us to the unsaved. That suddenly clears everything up. It's no longer the supernatural thing. What did Jesus do? Because our hearts are naturally inclined to speculate. We're like, ooh, this sounds interesting. And I used to think this all the time. So when Jesus went down, he, he, he 
floated about like a spirit and, and, and found these people in prison and he did something. I don't know what it is. But then when you just take all that stuff out and you say, Jesus died, he rose again, he gave all believers his spirit so that they could proclaim the gospel to the unsaved. That makes a lot more sense. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel, but he's proclaiming the gospel through us. Now, am I just speculating? Is John Brown just making this stuff up? Is this just his interpretation? What he tells me is go to, and I preached, I didn't preach this, but I, I read this passage. This is the end of Matthew. What does it say? Jesus spoke to his disciples saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the authority. All authority has been given to him. Okay? He is now in control. What does he do with this authority? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He passes his authority to his disciples to go and make disciples. And that's essentially what Peter's saying. Peter is giving his version of the Great Commission. He's saying, Christ died. All authority has been given to him. He's alive in the Spirit to you. Now that you have his Spirit, use that Spirit to proclaim the Gospel to everyone you meet. The, the Spirit's in prison. The soul's in prison. The people who are in bondage to the devil. Free them. Now, second question. Why is he bringing up Noah? And the ark? Because that's the other layer of confusion. Because not only did we have this vision of Christ down in hell preach, preaching to a bunch of people in jail, it sounds like he's saying, oh, those specific people are the, the people who died in the flood. This is a, simply a comparison. It's like saying, so here's the sentence. He, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. I'm not going to get into the whole baptism thing. That's for another sermon. It's like saying, I'm going to go to England and preach to the British people who once had a war with America. It's not... It's not that he's saying that those... He's saying mankind is unsaved. You need to proclaim them. Now here's an example of how unsaved they are. They were so far gone that Noah who spent 120 years building an ark and at the same time proclaimed the gospel. It says in 2 Peter 2.5 Did not spare the ancient God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought up a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So for 120 years, Noah 
built an ark and shared, and he was like 600 when he started. Something like that. So he was already living a long life. Then he spent 120 years building an ark and at the same time proclaiming the gospel to everyone. Now this is a gospel that is different from the one we preached. It's not different in substance. It's different in time. He's preaching the Messiah to come. Put your faith in the Messiah to come. <clears throat> people did that. We have evidence of people. If you go to the uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, Paul lists all of the people who had faith in Christ to come. So here's Noah preaching Christ to come to all these people. And they didn't believe. Not a single person believed. And at the end, God put Noah, his wife, his three sons, their three wives, onto a ship, onto the boat, and saved them. What Peter is saying here is, you are in a better place than Noah. Noah preached righteousness. No one believed. You now have the Spirit. You are alive in the Spirit. Christ is alive to you in the Spirit. You now have the ammunition. You have the means to preach the gospel and actually bear fruit. So he's comparing his listeners, his readers, to Noah. Noah, who was a righteous man, proclaimed the gospel and failed. You, who are sinners, but have been made alive with the Spirit, you are commanded by Christ to share the gospel with the spirits in prison. And you will bear fruit. Unlike Noah. Noah didn't bear fruit because the whole world was... But now, the Holy Spirit's working in the world to a degree that it never has before. Your words will stir hearts. Have faith in that. That's what that passage means. Now, of course, now I'm getting to a place where, oh, it's scary. This is Seth telling me I need to share the gospel. And it's a scary thing. And that's why if I go back to the beginning of the passage, and I'm not going to I'm not gonna exposit it, but I'm just going to read it plainly. And I'll kind of stop a little bit. Don't be afraid. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. So it is, being Christian is suffering. Being Christian is suffering. And, but it's giving them encouragement. Even though it's going to be uncomfortable, even though it's going to be, feel weird, you will bear fruit. Unlike Noah. He's getting to that. That's, that's the goal of this whole discourse here. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That's a famous verse. It shows that it's you're not pre pro proclaiming Christ is not a one-sided thing. Proclaiming Christ is not getting in somebody's face and being offensive. Proclaiming Christ is a two-way conversation. 
So it, he includes being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for what? For the hope that is in you. So another, another piece of evidence that you are not being offensive is you're showing hope to these spirits in prison. He's, he's essentially telling you, here's how you share the gospel. Being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Not raising your voice in argument. I mean, argument is involved, but we, we poison the word argument to mean shouting at each other. Gentleness, reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, because you will be slandered, I want everybody to like me. <laughs> That's my problem. I want everybody to like me. I don't want to be slandered at all. But he says, you will. But take courage. Even though you'll be slandered, you're going to bear fruit because you are alive in the Spirit. Unlike Noah. I'm not saying Noah wasn't alive in the Spirit. But the Spirit did not work in the hearts of those unbelievers back then. He still proclaimed the gospel and he didn't give up. But not one heart turned. Today we're in a different situation. Hearts do turn. And what Peter is saying is don't be discouraged. Hearts will turn. You will have a lot of slander. You will have those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Now notice, they don't revile your bad, sinful behavior. They revile your good behavior in Christ because Christ is transforming you and making you alive in the Spirit so that you know what is sin and what is not. Before, you didn't know what was sin and what was not. You just did it all. I'm not a sinner. Now that you know you're a sinner and are being saved by Christ, you can do what is right. You'll be slandered for it. You'll be reviled for it. Keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Suffer for doing what is right. And that's when he launches into the gospel, Peter, and his great commission which says it is better that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong because Christ did what was right. Here's your example. Christ did what was right and he was killed. But because he was killed and died for your sins, you are now made alive in the spirit so that you can preach Christ to the souls who are in prison, which is pretty much everybody who's not a Christian, and then some, some people who also claim to be Christians but aren't. And you will bear fruit because, and here's the example, Noah did this, he didn't win a soul, except for his family. You do this. You will suffer, you will be reviled, but you will bear fruit. Fruit. 